0: Don't Leave the bats in Stillwater. Carrie Everly just <laughs> threw her first career no hitter. This is a hustle play right here by Stephen. And she gets in just under the tack. She drove that ball out deep to left center, and we've got a brand new ball game.
1: Statman just not pulling the trigger on that. Looks like it could have been slightly low. When two
2: strikes and This week's guest includes the daughter of a legend blazing her own trail and a rostered men- member of the package deal. You know, we have Nairie Wright here, everybody. Yay! Woo-hoo! And then we also have my best friend. She a real bad bitch. Da, 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 da. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we got the Pac-12 in the house here today. We have Michelle Floyd, member... Uh, former member, you know, we're cool. University of Arizona besties. We got, <laughs> she plays for the Venezuelan national team. All good things. And then we have Marin, who's just here.
0: I'm here. I'm here. And T, and T is awesome. here. Awesome. T is recovered from her wedding.
2: Yes, I'm finally recovered from the wedding. Um, everyone was here at the wedding, but Nairi, so you'll just have to
0: Feel the vibes through the, through the <laughs> Zoom. Oh, man. That was like, that was quite the night. Because it was, uh was it on, Mo- it was on Monday night? It was a Monday That's- night wedding.
1: Still have bruises.
2: <laughs> from- oh, yeah. I bruises. Oh. From your
1: we- I, I look beat up from your wedding. <laughs> My bosses laughed at me. I was very burned on funny. the boat on Monday, but my bosses laughed at me because I looked it's like one, a mess coming into work on Tuesday.
2: It's one of those things that's like, it, that would happen just like how you sliced your eyeball open last week.
0: You sliced your eyeball like, open?
2: Didn't you slice your eye
1: open? No, I sliced my eyebrow.
2: Same thing.
1: <laughs> on Saturday, Sunday. Oh, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> You're killing me, T. You're killing me.
0: So, all right, Um, right. I'm drinking while we record today. I know a lot of you are working or at work, but I'm drinking because it's, this morning has been a clusterfuck. So, um, I got my wild berry, truly. Let's just enjoy it. Um, Ooh. Yeah, so... My boyfriend and I just sold our house. Oh yes. Truly in the house. Um, my boyfriend and I just sold his house and we are officially pending on our new house. So this morning I was running around town buying all of this moving equipment because he was at work. So, and, uh, and then we're driving to Iowa because his grandfather died the other day. And so we have to drive up to Iowa uh, for a funeral. So it's been, yeah, it's great. It's wonderful. So cheers. Um, And uh, yeah, man, let's just, well, let's, can we just get to the good stuff now? T is getting a new washer and dryer, right? Yes. Well, we're a washer and dryer. They're coming soon. Might Are be they here? Are they here Are they not have here they yet? Arrived? No. So T might disappear in the middle of this episode to uh, help the.
2: I'm going to carry the washer and dryer up the stairs into the unit.
1: T, you could fit in the washer and dryer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, I don't know what it's like to be that short. Neither does Michelle.
2: <laughs>
1: I was 5'3 in third grade. So
2: And you were still taller than me in third grade. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Always been a giant. All right. So <laughs> we're gonna let's let's talk some postseason softball, please. Because I've been literally like chomping out the bit to get Nyree on this show so we could like just spill the tea on everything because (laughs) (laughs) because I have my thoughts and I know she has her thoughts and I know that Michelle and I texted during some of the super regional games and then we were watching regional games at tea's like quote-unquote rehearsal dinner we're like glued to the phone during dinner so Uh, I think we should just start, because the World Series, we're recording this, it's Wednesday, the Women's College World Series begins tomorrow, on Thursday, and I think we should just start from the beginning, honestly. Uh, The committee decided, long before the teams were announced, that they were going to predetermine the host sites, and... I think the one thing that stuck out to me was Athens, because now Georgia's in the women's college world series. So uh they awarded Georgia a host regional site and gave but gave Duke the one seed. And I don't know about y'all or anybody listening, but I've been to Athens during a very important series, and it is one of the most hostile environments I've ever been in. So um for the committee to automatically give it to Georgia and say that like Duke wasn't deserving of a host site because they didn't, they weren't going to have fans in the stands. It was a total TV decision. It was not based on, it was not based on the talent or the, or what, what was deserving of either Duke or Clemson. It was totally based on, Hey, well, we need fans in the stands. It's not going to look good if Duke or Clemson doesn't have a full house because of their state regulations. So um, I don't. I'll. I'm going to turn it to Nyree on this and see if you have what your opinion is on that specifically.
3: Yeah, I think you know our parents were right when they told us that life isn't fair, um, and especially with this COVID year, it, it has impacted some programs disproportionately and more than others, right? Um, in terms of that host site, like it's challenging because we all know how important it is to increase viewership of our sport and to get it on TV and make sure that, that we're putting solid matchups on TV as well. Um, so it's, it's tough. It's, you know, we're making progress in that sense and it does have a cost. And sometimes that cost is, you know, fairness within, within the the seating, you know, overall, I've, you know, said some strong opinions about NCAA selection. I would love to learn more about the nitty-gritty on how people, you know, are selected for that committee. My my understanding is that it's a volunteer position, you know, and I'm wondering how many people within our softball community know that you can volunteer and apply to be a part of that um, and how we can improve that selection committee. I definitely think, you know, it may help to have more voices on the committee um, so that it's not so easily you know, swayed in one direction. I'm not quite sure exactly what the solution is, but I think we can all agree that the way that the seating is done right now is not very transparent and it's very difficult to understand and come to terms with and swallow. Some of the the decisions that have been made, not just this year, but for I I definitely think the last five years at least, there have been decisions that have really impacted the outcomes of our postseason. So it's just it makes it difficult for the softball community to swallow it, and especially for those programs, you know, you always wonder like what if. In my opinion, it'd be great if we went to more of an algorithm based selection, so uh, similar to what NCAA men's basketball does, where NCAA created a weighted system. Um, to help them to seed. And then as far as the facilities go, it's, you know, we experienced this at Oregon when I was, you know, growing up there every year, pretty much getting screwed over because of not having a a high quality facility, you know? And so I think that's where we really need more parity across the board. And at the end of the day, a softball program can only do so much without an athletic department that's willing to invest in them, and I think that's really where we need to see a lot of changes.
0: Well, we look like the the three of you have Pac-12 experience, right? Like all three of you played in the Pac. You've been a part of the Pac, and when it comes to this whole Pac versus SEC. I think the, the SEC right now is getting a lot of credit because their facilities are magnificent, right? They have the stadiums they have minus, like I think Ole Miss plays in a, in a older venue with not a lot of seats, but other than that, we're looking at like Arizona just went into Arkansas and Bogle park is one of the most beautiful softball facilities I've ever seen. So do you think, or like, Michelle, do you think that if some of these conferences, like the PAC updated their facilities, we wouldn't be having this conversation of like, why, you know, why did Oregon not host? Why did they get sent to Texas or why, why was Washington a 16 seed and having to play Oklahoma in, in a super Do you think it has to do with facilities and, and the visibility of the pack?
1: I think it's mostly due to visibility, like growing up and living, like I grew up right near UCLA and then staying in the pack for school, but then now living in the South, like that's one big thing that we've seen just a huge difference out here is just how accessible SCC softball is. Even ACC softball is more accessible out here. And then I was telling some of you guys at the wedding, like, At the brave stadium, you have this whole like sports bar row right outside the stadium. You'll walk in there and you'll have softball games on TV all the time. Every time I've walked in there, there's been SEC softball, ACC softball. Even my sushi bars had the ACC network on playing the ACC tournament. Like just the amount of like, even my boyfriend went down to a small fishing village, had the SEC and the ACC tournament on like you're able to just go places and people are watching softball and they're supporting it. And you don't have that out on the West. Like, I think there's a desire for it, but besides the facilities, because like you could look at the UCLA facility is not the highest facility out there. It's not even the highest in the PAC 12. It could definitely do some updates. Of course, there's the issue with room and landscaping given real estate in that area but you look at it and it's like, okay, no, like they come out to compete and they still get their props. I think it's the coverage. Like I heard through like part of the grapevine was that with the selections committee that they didn't have all the PAC 12 games on that network, like at NCAA headquarters, cause they had direct TV. And so were they able to get that access and watch those PAC 12 games? Like my boyfriend and I were trying to even just figure out how we could get the PAC 12 network out here in Georgia and we couldn't figure it out. So I think the biggest thing is gonna be accessibility because suddenly I'm getting texts from like my softball clients asking like, why is a Pac-12 all upset when they haven't had the opportunity to watch them or know any of that history either. They just grow up and they see, oh, I flipped through my ESPN channels and there's softball on TV. So I think that makes the biggest difference.
3: Yeah. And so much of it too, to piggyback off that, like, you know, Pac-12 for a long while was extremely dominant and it almost was bad for the sport to the point where it was like, it was just Pac-12 across the board. And you can't expect everybody, you know, these conferences to make changes and start investing in softball at the same time. You know, there is going to be a back and forth between the conferences as they all hopefully figure out that softball is a good investment and that there is demand for it and that it's also a great product for TV. You know, I think everybody will figure that out, but my hope is that Pac-12 figures that out and figures out a way to create better coverage before all of the good recruits start swinging completely to the SEC and, you know, leaves the Pac-12 high and dry. So, you know, things always happen slower than we want them to. And I think conferences tend to think in years instead of like, we're like, okay, next season, like, let's get it together. Um, but as always, it always comes back to the money and, you know, reasonably. So I think the fact of the matter is that softball is a good investment and it is going to bring a lot of money and coverage to Pac-12. It's interesting. I think Pac-12 turned down a deal, right. To, um, to go on ESPN or kind of connect the same way the SEC network has connected with ESPN. I think the Pac-12 received that same offer and they turned it down. Um, in order to create the PAC-12 network and to get 100% of the revenue from that. Ultimately, though, they're probably making less than they would have if they had (laughs) put it on ESPN. So I think a lot of it is leadership. And I think our generation understanding media better and understanding that, you know, even if content's not behind a paywall, even if you're putting it on a network and you're only getting paid from the advertising, you're probably going to make more. Because people don't want to sign up for another. Sub- I mean, how many subscriptions do you guys have on <laughs> monthly bills? Like, how many people subscribe to Flow Softball? I did last.
2: <laughs> like, actually subscribe, or do you like share an account with like ten other people? I
3: subscribed last year, and then the season was canceled like a week later. So,
1: my parents <laughs> only did it for my games. That was it.
0: Yeah, I. I worked for a competitor, so I did not subscribe, Uh, but like I do, I do subscribe to Pac-12 network. um, I have, but I will say I share an account to get the ACC network because uh, it's not available on Comcast in Tennessee. So that's where my cable is. So I can't watch the ACC network. So I've used my friend's account who lives in Raleigh and she has Hulu. So I'm able to watch it that way. Um, I The Pac-12 network, it's, it's really hit and miss because when I watch, I think I, I'm gonna use Arizona for an example here, but when their games are not actually on the Pac-12 network and they're like Pac-12 plus, it's like a single camera in the press box and it doesn't move and you've got the netting at Rita that goes like all the way up and around and so you can't see half of the game and then if a ball is hit down the left field line you're not going to see that either so uh I then it comes down to if a game's going to be pac 12 plus like even UCLA didn't do it for a long time they didn't show their games that weren't televised on Pac-12 Network because they didn't have enough manpower to do it. And there's not enough room in their press box to have that. But their press box is literally like someone took a, a shed and just dropped it on top of the bleachers and said, okay, I think we can fit about uh, maybe eight people in here comfortably. To me, I'm waiting. I'm literally checking
3: and counting the days until somebody at ncaa starts enforcing title nine because what like you have ucla being one of the most dominant and regardless of their performance it doesn't even matter performance but they are one of the leading programs in our sport for such a long time and it's just blatant disrespect to that coaching staff to the players who have built the program i mean what else do you want from ucla before you invest in in better facilities and when you want to get something done you get it done athletic departments build facilities in tough areas all the time you know there's way more excuses than problem solving going on and i think it's a leadership issue and i think ncaa can just be really selective on what they choose to enforce if they enforce title IX as well as they enforce you know recruiting contact stuff we would all be in a much different situation in my opinion
1: And then that would be changing some of the sponsorship dollars too. Because unless it's directed specifically to like that woman's sport, that woman's team, like you might give it like a million dollars with the attention to help women's sports, but you don't know which team it's going to go towards. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You have to say this is for the softball program. Here's the money. I mean, I'm even, I'm watching social media with, with the women's college world series and JMU is fundraising. Like they, they are fundraising right now. Wow. And they're saying uh, there's somebody that's going to match uh, donations up to $25,000 uh, throughout the women's college world series for them. Um, and I think, I don't know who tweeted it, Uh but like this is a this is a uh, prime opportunity for a program like JMU to take advantage of it, like sell sell some T-shirts, like get I I mean this is where I think um, I think it if it was if the law was around right now and enforce right now that players could benefit off their likeness. I think odyssey Alexander would be sitting on a pile of cash right now, but <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just like sell all of the odyssey Alexander t-shirts that you can, that you can, because I, you, she's got people watching softball that have never watched before. And, and but JMU is taking advantage of it. They're like, Hey, we're going to fundraise. Like they may actually need to fundraise just to be there. Uh, but that's, that's the, I mean, that's the beauty in it, I guess. That's the beauty in having a team come out of nowhere. But
1: You can even look at like the title nine issue with what happened with Michigan when they were leaving Washington after the regional about how their team would have had to be split onto multiple flights and like game finished at 2am Eastern. And they're at the airport at like 4am Eastern. Yeah. like, of we and that's the ever, thing, all like, of us,
3: yeah, all of us having played, I mean, how many incidents can you guys think of where, that's just normal to us, that's just normal to us to be second-class citizens in the NCAA's eyes, but, you know, to start sharing it on social media, that's where the accountability piece comes in, they're not going to make any changes until they have to, like, why would they You know, in their mind, they're not going to spend more money than they have to. So I think social media creates that accountability and, like, good on Hutch for sharing that because we all can see in the comments exactly how these issues are treated when you do bring them up Mm -hmm. and how people can, you know, turn it against you and end up, you know, kind of trashing you in the process. So it is, I, I mean, I can think of at least five things off the bat that now that I know more about NCAA and the rules, I'm like, wow. That's they got away with that, like no. Yeah, and in terms of monetizing, like you know, obviously Alexander can't make money off of it right now, like not until the nil uh, change is made, obviously. But the least that they could do is make sure the program makes more money, and that oftentimes comes back down to staff, right? Like how many, how much staff is available at JMU to be able to create and monetize their situation right now? It's it's the monetization is there. Like you absolutely could fundraise really effectively, but you also need personnel to be able to do that. And that means that you need to have somebody at the athletic department who has, you know, invested in that personnel.
1: Yeah. They should pull some of the travel ball coaches. Cause I know some of these travel ball organizations know how to market themselves like no other. They need to bring in some of these people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, I know for, for JMU specifically, they've been kind of a feeder program for the beverly bandits so why not if i mean if that was an option and i mean in softball world everybody knows who the beverly bandits are so let's npf doesn't exist anymore what are you talking was about chicago bandits <laughs> no <laughs> oh. oh the beverly bandits. but that's but, cool no that you do you make a solid point with that too because i love what I love what AU is doing. And I think we talked about this the other day, like, but Haley Cruz wasn't drafted. And then she signed with the pride and Haley Cruz is a gold mine of marketing for softball. And so for, I don't know if she had to say, okay, like I know for the NPF, they used to reach out to all of the seniors that Coaches were interested in drafting and they would ask them if they wanted to play or if they wanted to be drafted and they had to say yes or no. So um if if that's what Athletes Unlimited is doing now that they're they're having a draft, uh why didn't they draft Haley Cruz?
1: Well, do you have to do one or the other this year? Because I don't know if there's much overlap between the Pride players. I know that there is for the Canadian team. But, like,
0: are the Pride players allowed to go between the two? I mean, between athletes and Olympians. Who is the Pride playing? Uh, Canada themselves. Or...
1: Anybody <laughs>
0: who will play them? Canada Wild. I, I, I honestly, I don't know. <laughs> They've been playing the Canadian national team. Because they're not playing in the Euro- European championships. I know that. Yeah, they're that. playing against the Canadian national team and the Mexican national team right now. They're playing at... Um, in Southern Illinois at Miners Stadium or whatever it is, where the Canadian Wild plays. which...
2: How are they making money?
0: Who, the Pride?
2: How are the players making money? How's the Pride making money?
0: Well, Canada
1: did a really cool thing with how they have like the support her, where they're specifically like have funds to help the female athletes on the Canadian national team. I've seen Victoria post about it quite a few times. what Canada has been doing is pretty cool the other teams I have no clue
3: well and and even you know when you're asking for donations no matter how well you do it there's always going to be a limit on that and to how much people are going to be able to give but when you start offering products and services well especially ones that scale like online uh, like the education economy online is massive you know Mm -hmm. even like putting something on YouTube or another paid platform that allows you to see a lot of behind the scenes things. And I think our generation just thinks differently about how to create value and how to raise money. Um, and it's just been a little slow on the uptake to me. Like I always think back to um, men's fast pitch in the U S and even abroad in the eighties and nineties. And they, like those players could make some bank, like enough, that they would switch uh, hemispheres, right? Like my dad used to play in the U.S. for six months in the summer, and then go to New Zealand and play professionally over there. And all of those teams were uh, corporate sponsored, similar to the league in Japan. And um, you know that's how he paid for his graduate education, all of that. So I think it's a key thing to be able to get businesses in line and uh, the sponsorship side of things, as well as you know being able to monetized through products and services as well but we just haven't quite put it all together yet
1: well, and you they got- should be like they're the ideal corporate sponsor because women's sports are like the hot new thing right now especially after what happened with the NCAA women's basketball tournament yeah. you know, dick sporting goods yeah. orange theory or, or the like, golf tournament exactly all these companies want to invest in women's sports but I don't know who's going out there trying to make that
0: connection to make that deal yeah well even um I know T talked about when Arizona made it to the World Series last time and like the gifts that you got that are like the deodorant quote-unquote like yeah like she got a fucking okay no the
2: like. Nike gifts were cool but that's from our sponsor <laughs> like everyone who got um like Under Armour they gave them shoes we got like sweet backpack and gear but like the tournament itself I thought we were gonna get like unlimited wings to like Buffalo Wild Wings because they were the big sponsor I don't know stop looking at me like that <laughs> like three wings per <laughs> well, year I don't
0: know yeah, I mean it, you don't you're not wrong because you look and you see what the other sports get what
1: football gets
0: and like for playing in a in a bowl game or for playing, I mean, and we're talking about a bowl game. That's like the cheese hit bowl or you know, like something that is not very prominent. They probably get free cheese. Yeah. So the prize pool
2: was a selection of things that were like maybe less than a hundred dollars. I want to say they had jackets, they had other things. I got like a Kindle fire, like the Kindle, like the book thingy. That was the gift. And they were all, I think they all retail for less than a hundred dollars.
3: And, you know, whenever we talk about like this NCAA issue, you know, between men's and women's and all of that, the, the, what are the common arguments? Like you'll hear, it'll go in circles. You'll hear it all the time. Oh, well, it's not a revenue sport. And there's this catch 22 where it's hard to raise revenue until you have a stadium that can seat enough people to raise enough revenue. Right. And so you get caught in this catch 22. And I think, um, Mm -hmm there has to be something that helps us to break out of that because we're not asking for anything for free. Student athletes are providing a massive amount of value to their universities in terms of exposure and visibility and branding. Like at Stanford, when you think of Stanford, you also think of Stanford athletics and just the level of excellence. And it definitely helps to strengthen the brand of the university in a big way. How often do you see a regular student from Stanford? You might work with someone, you might, you know, follow them online, but like the visibility of the Stanford student athlete is incredibly valuable. So it's just, I think there's a complete misunderstanding of this whole revenue sport situation. And I think we need some way to be able to break out of that catch 22 cycle.
0: Right. And you have to spend money in order to make money. Yeah. So Because if we're selling out the world series,
2: that stadium fits so many people. You can't tell me that softball is not a revenue
0: sport and they just added to it right and they just add they added to it they expanded the stadium they redid the whole thing it's going to be 100 percent capacity this well, week Well, even look at the response to Clearwater and
1: like, like people were showing up for like I had clients yes. that were being like hey Michelle we'll see you next week we're gonna go to Clearwater so we'll skip our lessons but they're going down there to go watch softball yeah. even if it was from the parking lot it was similar with Palm Springs back in the day yeah. too.
3: You know, what's interesting though? Sorry. I, uh, I talked to my students a lot about like, oh, Hey, did you watch softball this weekend? These kids are playing sun up to sundown all weekend. They almost never get to watch mm-hmm. college softball, which is insane. So I think, you know, if travel ball programs start helping and supporting in that way, like, helping people to understand the, the learning value first and foremost for girls to watch the sport, but then also how, Mm -hmm. you know, we are reinvesting into our own sport by watching it, but you're going to need, you know, you're going to need travel ball. You're going to need these other people to help us with that type of effort and, and help people understand it does matter to have your TV on. Even if you're in Colorado, you can leave your TV on on ESPN. If softball
0: is going to be on, should we have more weekday games? For visibility, well, I mean, newsflash: you're not being recruited during the collegiate season. Like, they're not coming. The college coaches are not coming to your travel ball games during the college season. So, if you're playing all weekend during the collegiate season, like you're just you're playing to play at that point. You're you're not. I mean, the coach because no, you know, the coaches aren't going to come watch. Don't you. get me started on travel ball. <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> There's so many incredible. And, and that's
3: the thing is, is both things can exist at the same time. I can be incredibly grateful and understand and appreciate the value that being a female athlete and NCAA on scholarship, that education every single day. I am grateful for those things, but we also didn't get to that point by not, you know, Speaking our mind about things that we need to improve, it can be both. I can ask the NCAA to improve and I can call them out when they're really coming up short. And I can also be incredibly grateful for the opportunity that I have. Same thing with travel ball. I think travel ball has come, I mean, it's an incredible, it's part of the reason why our college softball is so strong now is because girls are developing a lot, mostly because of competition. The competition has gotten so much better that it elevates everyone. Um, But, you know, there definitely are some things in travel ball culture that I find really, um, you know, could use some improvement, especially the money grabbing that I'm seeing is it's always been that way, but it has gotten to a whole other level and it makes our sport really inaccessible. Um, you know, families are spending $10,000 just, just for PGF, just to go to PGF it's $10,000 for a family of four, you know? So it's just,
1: I, I, well, I remember them Ow. trying to change, they created to be cheaper PGA to make it cheaper than the ASA Nationals that was 10 days long and who knows where. Then somebody
3: starts seeing the checks rolling in. I remember when it was somebody <laughs> starts seeing the money rolling in. And again, it comes back to leadership. Like, yeah. who who is making these decisions? Who is running these businesses? When it's women and when it's people who have played, and at least when those women are at the table and they have a voice, I think these types of things change. But I'm seeing girls. When I moved to Texas, I was like, why on earth would anybody travel outside of Texas to play travel ball other than like OKC or Colorado? And I have 12 u teams yeah. flying to Illinois in the fall. And I'm like, what on earth? What's in Illinois that you can't get here? I know you don't want to play the same teams, but you have everything that you need to develop here. And it's just kind of bizarre how we're evolving.
0: It just keeps being more and more of a money grab. Seeing some of these teens expand yeah. their organization, like, and to where, like, I, I have some friends that, um, you know, we grew up playing travel ball together. Now they're coaching college ball. And they're like, I can't even go out and recruit uh mm-hmm certain organizations because i don't know what i'm going to get at this point like they're paying to have the name but the name doesn't mean the same thing right they're not they're just they're they're taking people's money just to just to have just to be a part of that organization so it's like where and so how does that how does that work like if your organization has 500 teams well i remember when i was a travel ball coach too
1: yeah like when I was a travel ball coach though I joined this team pretty late because like where I was from in LA like there wasn't much in the way of travel ball and this coach like they bought a name pretty much because I've had a lot of conversations of like you know when I was part of this organization years ago this was not our mentality and this behavior is not going to be acceptable (laughs) which was a fun talk to have but they were talking about how the only way that they could get into some of the showcases in mm-hmm. tournament was to have a name that if they didn't have the name, the teams wouldn't take them.
3: Yeah. And the the biggest leverage, the biggest leverage that travel ball organizations like that have is the exposure piece and why you know, people are willing to, you know, pay so much per month to have that you know name on the front of their uniform. Part of it is exposure And part of it is the expectation that those coaches will use their connections to help you get seen and to vouch for you when that often doesn't happen. And I think as soon as student athletes realize the power that they have in their own exposure, that whole thing might start to improve. Like, you know, we talk a lot with my students about personal branding and how recruiting is building a personal brand. It's making sure that people see you often and they see you memorably and that they can remember your name top of mind. When I think 2023 pitcher, I think of Maddie Azua, whatever. So to me, you know, when student athletes start getting these weapons and these tools in their hands to be able to advocate for themselves and to create opportunities for themselves, we might see a bit more accountability where you can't just, you know, put the front, you know, put a certain jersey on
0: and. And hope that does it
3: for you. You know,
0: I think the most mm-hmm. the most important thing, uh, me coming from the, the media standpoint, covering travel travel ball and wanting wanting to make sure that I give respect where respect is due and and knowing stats, right? Because a lot of these teams um, don't keep stats or they only or they keep stats for the summer it's like every every tournament is in one batch except for pgf tournaments and those are in another batch and they're like so we keep everything separate uh the the coolest thing happened for me the other day actually and so like i i'm living in omaha now and i bartend at like a vfw and this 80 year old gen- gentleman comes in he used to play men's fast pitch in his prime and so we sit and we talk about men's fast pitch game which i am obsessed with and i wish it like was as prominent now as it was then um and um and then he started talking about he started talking about jordan ball who is the top recruit out of the state of nebraska and um and i just was like I can't believe you like you're paying attention to this. He's like, I just wish, I wish we were able to keep our recruits in state. He goes, you know, the, the, the girl from Papillion is like going to Oklahoma. I'm like, it's visible. Like people are interested. People want to know. And I'm like, I know that kid. In fact, I took her to a Lee Bryce concert, like not that long ago, (laughs) but um it it was, it was just really cool to hear, just to hear, to hear that at a bar, like, just when you're shooting the shit with someone, and they're, like, they just bring up, you know, a senior in high school, who's one of the best recruits in the country, and they're, like, man, I wish we could have kept her at Nebraska, but, um, that, like, that blew my mind, um, I had to, I had to tell that story, like, (laughs) Absolutely. Well, and
3: like, sometimes I think about, I I learned this when I was in New Zealand, I look at the men's fast pitch community in New Zealand and many of them are very invested in the women's sport over there and men's fast pitch still, you know, giving back to the game, but there's so much talent and so much legacy that doesn't get passed down. And I think so much of it is like being able to create continuity where Oh, I learned less certain lessons. I gained certain tools and connections. And when you feed that, it puts someone like 10 years ahead, you know? So I think some of it is our sport is starting to get to that point where we have former women's players who understand the value of the sport and that there's opportunities to make, you know, ends meet number one, but also to be financially abundant in our sport. And when you start, you know being able to recruit that type of talent into, you know, let's start your own business as a hitting coach. Let's start your own business as a pitching coach. That's not just giving lessons. And when I first started this, everyone was like, what are you doing? Just giving lessons. You know, like, like it's, you know, I'm a side hustle over the summer. No, this is my full-time job. Like this is what I do year round. And that's such a blessing. And I hope, I wish that that the message that you can make a good living for yourself in the sport of softball still, and you don't have to stop and that you can continue to pass those things down, I really wish that message would be out there. And I wish travel ball teams would invest in players who used to play and pay them to coach. Like, I think that would be such a, such a bonus for our game.
2: Part of the sport is that we go in knowing, at least when we're in high school, when we're young, we go in knowing we're not gonna make money. We go in knowing we're like, oh, we're going to college just to get our education. And we don't feel like that there's like softball beyond college. And I don't think that's preached like at all, basically. And you feel like people just give lessons because they don't have anything else to do with it. Like, they're like, I don't know what else to do. So I'll give lessons. Things like when I was playing
1: over in Italy was the way that they have their team set up. Cause like, yeah, a lot of teams have different sponsors and everything, but you have the adult team They're a one level team, like the team Erica Pioncastelli plays for like 40. And below you have your A2 team, you have your B team, and you go all the way down to like eight U six U where the coaches of these teams are going to schools, teaching kids how to play softball at PE because Italy PE is completely set up differently. But you have these older girls pouring into the younger girls in that organization. Like the professionals, like you have the Amanda Fama, the team Italy, who's on, um, goodness, now I'm forgetting the name. But like playing on these big teams, going and helping out with practice for a little like the 13U team that they have. And you see these girls consistently growing up, watching and getting to yeah. interact with these great softball players. And like a lot of them aren't able to make a living off of it.
0: But they make
1: it possible so that you can keep playing like i played with a teammate one of my best friends i made in italy she was 40 but she was so good but they made it possible for her to have like they paid her to help come and help with the younger teams and just everybody pours into your organization that's how you have a lot of these organizations in italy that you sit there and you're like Italian softball like how is that going to grow but it's so sustainable. That's why Italy always has teams in the Little League World Series because they are pouring into these young athletes from the time they're six years
2: old. I, I would say that they're falling. Isn't there like a soccer model that's very set up like the same way where you play for the same organization your whole life basically? Clubs. Mm-hmm. Clubs. Mm-hmm. And then they make it
1: possible to pay money too for some of these teams.
3: That's um, actually what my experience in New Zealand was as well. And then it- I love that it's very local, you know, like people from the community that are passing, it's all in person really, but you could do the same thing in a more online sense so that it's not limited by geography, but basically it was a club system and that's how I was able to go over and live there for six months as they paid my living expenses. And then I gave clinics um, for all the, the young players. And so you have like a physical clubhouse that sells, merchandise that sells it was actually a bar because in New Zealand it's mm-hmm. like that's yes and that I thought was it, was it was like so in Italy brilliant. like you could really sponsor a travel ball team that way and then it the talent passes you know it, they're not jumping jumping teams all the time because you do very much have a community in that sense and I think there's so many ways that we could monetize I just wish we could like do a giant think tank of former players and you know, all the, the brilliant leaders that we've had in the past, you know, Sherry Kemp and um, you know, all these, these leaders in our sport, if we could combine generations and we put people together, I, I know there are solutions to these problems, but it's like, we're leaving it in the hands of people whose primary job is the Mm -hmm. balance sheet at the end of the day. And like, that's just life. That's how that is. But the more we can, you know, like add our input into
2: our sport, I think the faster we evolve. Yeah.
0: Instead of hopping from
2: team to team to team. I think there
3: are some really interesting parallels, like really big similarities between the type of travel ball club hopping that we're seeing and transfer portals, but it's not as, um, you know, I really try not to generalize because it's such a case-to-case basis. You will always have crappy people who are going to take advantage of the system. They're going to, you know, want me, 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 me. They don't care about the team. But then you also have families who simply are trying to find someplace that's going to advocate for their kids, that's going to provide the same type of value, you know, that's going to match how much they're charging. You know, they're they're trying to navigate all these things. And I think some of it is not understanding. Your own power in the recruiting process, your own power in the development process where, you know, you're not going to be as reliant on these teams. And I think some of the hopping is this sense of anxiety of, oh, we're not getting it here. We're impatient. We need to find it someplace else. And You can't blame these families for wanting the best for their kids. They just don't know how to go about it. And again, you have the 10 percent of people who are just they don't know how to commit to something. But you know, I also see lots of good families who are terrified to leave a travel organization that's not treating them well because those travel coaches do have quite a lot of power. And it's really easy to paint the narrative. It's so easy to paint the narrative that, oh, so-and-so was disloyal. They were about themselves. They were selfish, blah, blah, blah. And it keeps some kids in really toxic environments. So I think it's so important to look on an individual level and like really think about the story. Same thing with transfers. Like, transferring i think is such a healthy thing for our sport and right now like is it messy yes does it cause problems for some college programs yes are there some players who are just looking for you know more playing time Mm -hmm. and which isn't a bad thing either i mean what softball player doesn't want to (laughs) play right like i get it um you know there are some people who are are you know, not going to really commit to doing something and sticking through it through the hard parts. But then there are players who are just like, this isn't a good fit for me. And how are they supposed to know when college coaches can't even talk to you? And then all of a sudden September one comes and you have to commit that day or you don't have money. And that's the narrative is that if I don't commit right away on September one, these teams will give the money away and I don't have any money. And you have no leverage in that situation for these student athletes. So they're rushed into a lot of, I think if you ask a lot of transfers, they'll tell you they didn't take all of their unofficial visits, that they also felt rushed in that process. And so some of it, I think, is looking at transferring a little bit differently. And I think it creates a really healthy accountability for college programs to start to put together. Like, I don't think you have to pick between being a championship team and taking care of your student athletes as people first. I really, I think, in fact, they're the same thing. I think when you take care of your student athletes as people and you create a team environment that's healthy for them and you give them the resources they need, I think those players, you know, are going to help you win more championships than players who are not healthy mentally and physically, players who are not, you know, able to communicate with coaches, that kind of stuff. So I think, you know, it's a lot more complicated than we tend to paint, you know, the whole thing. We generalize like, oh, people are, you know, not committing to things. They don't know how to push through stuff. I think it's so easy to, especially with young people, it's so easy to crap on young people sometimes.
1: Get putting your official visit starting in the junior year when they can actually start talking to coaches. And you're going to have a lot of families that like, I have a kid. Oh no, I have a kid who just committed to across the country and she's never been to her school. Because like her family can't afford to take that trip. And I think that's such a big issue because like, who knows if you're about to commit to the snow and suddenly you can't have it. Like you can't do it. It's like, I tell a lot of my kids, it's like a bad boyfriend. (laughs) Like and the parents are like, well, we've committed, like, we don't want to have our kid think it's okay to walk away. And I was telling them like, are you going to let your kid think that it's not okay to leave a bad boyfriend? Like they need to be able to know to leave. Like if that man isn't respecting their values, Your child needs to know it's okay to leave. Yeah, they might have a trip planned the next week. They might have an engagement or something like that. They need to be able to know it is okay to leave in that situation. And I had some of the parents sitting there and they're like, you're right. Like, I never thought about that. I'm like, I know your daughter may not be dating right now because she's focused on softball and who has time for that. (laughs) But I was like, they need to know that it's okay to leave and that whole thing like transfers into a life skill but it's like you look at it too like how many kids also on a side note how many of them actually take all three official visits
3: one in the hand is better than two in the bush right but you know that's the thing is a lot of student athletes feel like coaches have all the power in recruiting because they do have I mean they do have a lot of power but ultimately programs need players, like I would, I would argue that players have a lot more leverage in the recruiting Mm -hmm. process than they think that they do. And part of it is we're not equipping student athletes to be able to hold their own in conversations with coaches. These coaches do this for years, for decades. Like they know exactly what pressure points to put. They know what works, what doesn't work. These student athletes, this is their first experience with that. And it's really difficult when you don't have any type of advocate who knows the NCAA rules, who knows you know, the situation with scholarships, who knows Ear to the ground, what like other schools loyal are doing. It's things. hard when there's so many unknowns. And so you just grab onto the first known thing, right? But I think it's, I always think recruiting is a lot like dating where when you come into a relationship and you have standards, even if you're afraid of scaring that person off, that person values you more because you have standards and because you don't just take anything that comes to you. Right? I think it's important to be able to communicate that well. Right. So if I was a student athlete, I would, I would say something like coach, I'm very interested in your program. I know exactly what I'm looking for in a program. Here are my top values. I'm looking for something that's close to home or whatever those things are. I'm looking for something that, um, you know, I do need a full ride scholarship as a pitcher, or I'm looking for, you know, at least 50% covered through academics or something like that. I'm looking for, you know, list those things and say, you match this And I I know that I want to learn more about your program here is what I would like to do. I would like to commit to my top three or commit to my top five and take my visits and then make my decision. And I think how coaches respond to that will tell you a lot about how they run their programs and about how they will interact with you in the future. Mm -hmm. But it's tough when you're, you know, 16, 16 to do that to you know someone who you've looked up to your entire life watched on tv and idolized it's hard we need someone whose only that be- who's only you know angle is what's best for the student athlete everyone else has some type of conflict of interest you know the coach is hired to primarily look after the program in the university they're not primarily hired for you as a as an individual so we have to arm people to be able to hold their own in that
0: sense if 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 you're waiting to hear from if you're waiting here from Patrick Murphy at Alabama and he calls you on September 1st of your junior year and gives you an offer right there like he could put an expiration an expiration time and date on that offer like this is only good for x amount of time like so then you're like well shit like I haven't even taken on my visits yet because I'm just now allowed to start taking my visits. So then you're put, you're now this kid is thinking, well, do I pass on Alabama and see and, and do my due diligence and take these visits and go look at these schools? Or do I just say, I, I guess I'm going to go to Alabama because they're Alabama and they gave me an offer. Like,
3: But then you look at transfers, how many transfers when they're in that process want to take visits, almost all of them because they know what a difference it makes. And that was a mistake they made the first time around. I think to your point, Michelle, it's like so important is that it's, you know, loyalty has been weaponized against women for a long time as a way to kind of keep us in situations that are not beneficial or healthy for us. And I think it's, it's super important to remember that until September one of your senior year, what's what's the day, November one? Uh, your signing day, right? When you sign that um, NLI. Now I think signing day is November, I don't know, whatever. Fall, fall, of, fall of your senior year, whatever. Until you sign it on the dotted line, coaches can withdraw that commitment like just no problem. They can also, you show up on signing day and the money on the piece of paper is completely different than the money that you talked about two years before. When you turned down all your other offers, you have to understand that everybody needs to advocate for themselves. And that's how everybody is put in a better position. So we're, we're basically saying, you know, coaches can, can dip on a verbal anytime, but like you can't, or, you know, in softball culture, we'll bash you and call you, you know, like uncommitted or soft. Yeah, right, and I think it's super important for members of the softball community to know that these kids are trying to make a really big decision with very limited information, and they're also in a point in their life where they're changing so, so much, and where colleges are also changing, and there's a lot of moving factors. Just because someone decommits doesn't mean that they're you know wishy-washy or they're whatever the, the narrative is. And I would really encourage us all to like watch the way that we talk about those things because it does make a difference. And also in football, how often do they make a verbal commitment and then change it? Why, why is it so taboo in women's sports to back off of a commitment when it no longer serves you? Football guys will commit to five different schools, the verbal to five different schools. And then, you know, pick one. It's just a really harmful piece of
0: this whole puzzle, for
3: student athletes. So that's my thought.
0: One thing that I'm, I'm actually looking forward to this week with the world series is, um, seeing the women who are playing that have transferred and are thriving in a new environment. I mean, there, there are so many who didn't get that experience at their first school where that they thought they were going to get and they they transferred, and it has made a world of difference for them. I think the the first the first name that comes to mind. Actually, I've got two names that come to mind like immediately, and that would be uh, Carrie Eberly and uh, Taylon Snow. I mean, Taylon Snow gets lost in the mix at Oklahoma because she's not that she's not the power hitter. She's not the she's, I mean, she's not Jocelyn Allo, but Taylen Snow went from the, uh, being a shortstop at Auburn, playing on a team with her sister, um, to getting hurt, transferring to Oklahoma, becoming a first baseman, and in hitting in that lineup and, and starting in that lineup. I mean, they needed someone to play first base and she learned how to play first base. And um, seeing her thrive, is uh it it genuinely makes me happy to see that and i know oklahoma also has Jana johns right like i mean she was great at south carolina but i mean now i mean she's in the thick of it at oklahoma and then you have carrie eberly who did her thing at virginia tech in comes a new coach like you know it doesn't always work out the same way as the coach that recruited you and look at her now like Mm (laughs) jeez
3: Exactly. And, you know, people, I think, don't quite see exactly what that experience is like for someone to transfer when all of your friends, your teammates, like you live at that university, all of your stuff is there. Like it is a major decision. You have to be you know, pretty sure of yourself and like pretty motivated to go through the transfer process. It is not easy and you lose a lot. And there's also a lot of unknowns, you know, maybe you've put in two years of your, of your time, you know, at a certain program, you don't know when you go to the other, you know, other program, if you're going to have to sit the next two years and work your way into the lineup. I mean, it's a massive risk. So, you know, most student athletes, some of them, some of them are just, you know, going to dip no matter what, but the other ones most of them, I think are women of character who are just trying to, we only get four years, you know, we get four years and it's really hard to give everything to something when it's not, um, when you're not healthy or you're not in a, in a place that exactly. Yeah. 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 I might, I, I might have to hop off in one second. I might have a call. So if I, if I dip, that's why. Okay.
0: Well, for Carrie Eberly specifically, I've gotten to know her and her family pretty well. Um, she graduated undergrad in three years at Virginia Tech. Her entire family graduated from Virginia Tech except her brother, and they have season tickets to football. They they donate to the athletic program. Like Virginia Tech is in their blood, and she she got her degree and said, "Hey, I want to get my master's degree in this. Let me find." let me find a school that works for me. And she's, I I keep saying the word thrive, but like, she's thriving at Oklahoma state. And, um, and now she's got this opportunity in front of her to, to pitch in the women's college world series. And I, they showed her family on camera when they beat Texas. I'm so sorry, uh, but they were hysteric. They were hysterically crying. Yeah. And, I was just like I, I mean that's when you know like you made the right choice mm-hmm. is like when your whole family is like in that moment with you and um so I just I like I just I it makes me so happy to see that
2: Now it's time for the kvetching corner do, 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 do. <laughs>
0: Welcome to the kvetching corner. I could kvetch about anything. What do you want me to kvetch about? The
3: only thing I have to complain about, and that has nothing to do with me, but it does very much have to do with the Naomi Osaka situation. Um, no one is going to hear your rude tweets about, like, Naomi Osaka is not going to read your rude, rude tweets or the comments that you make, you know, about being soft or not knowing how to deal with whatever. But the 10 to 20% of people in the United States who struggle with their mental health will hear you, your neighbor will hear you, your sister or your mom will hear you. And it makes a massive difference. I think there's this huge misunderstanding about mental health, as if it's some type of character flaw, when it's very much a medical issue. And there's a big difference between depression with a capital D and depression as in the emotion. All of us go through some depression, some emotions when we go through difficulty of life, but there are many, many people among us who are struggling with depression with a capital D in a way that is so debilitating, so debilitating as much, if not more so than many physical issues, but it's also something where you have no support typically and no place to offer you well wishes and good vibes you have a lot of judgment instead so that's the only thing I have to complain about I hope that people you know if you don't know someone's situation just drink your water and mind your business you know
1: mine's not so I love that so fun fact I actually had very bad depression at some points in my life where I had to be very medicated for it just nothing I could do took and that was a whole process. So thank you for that, Nigri. And I'm also very open with that fact too. But um not so big of a complaint, mine is the sunburn and bruises, sunburn from the boat, bruises from T's wedding. But my really big complaint right now that's low key I had an anxiety attack about it last night cuz Georgia has cockroaches. Like I've never had to deal with cockroaches in my life. I am absolutely bloody terrified of them especially the big ones my boyfriend and I we have a quota that anything that is less than half an inch I can get if it's bigger than that no that's his job but no my cats have decided that they're going to be cold-blooded hunters no my older cat that I got in college Layla so I'm actually my therapy animal Layla great cat she's a cold-blooded killer Roman likes to play with them and torture them and then Mm -hmm. run around the house with them to keep it from my boyfriend, Nick, from getting the cockroach from him. So like yesterday morning and this morning, this morning there was a two inch cockroach near the front door, dead. But I'm like, oh, Yeah, not doing well with this. Not doing well with this at all, huh? Dude, I, need for it. You, so I was, no I was taking the trash out last night and then I'm walking <laughs> praying like, for you like, sis what start crawling up I screamed neighbor saw I was like are you okay I'm like cockroach I come back basically in tears <laughs> so I'm gonna tell you now if anyone does a cockroach prank on me it's not funny I will not be okay
2: <laughs> so I'll mail you
1: no if you do too you're gonna get I'm gonna make Josh punish you I will call your husband. Ooh. No. No, I will be mean to you. Josh will help me.
2: <laughs> Calling your husband. <laughs> There's a mess in this in this house. <laughs> I was gone for a week and I don't know what happened. <laughs> I have to clean it all too. I don't. Josh is like, what are you doing today? Can you go do all these things? I was like, I'm doing things, but like, I'm not really doing that. I am doing things, just not, it's productive, just not things. I don't know.
3: You know, girl, (laughs) you are a human being, not a human. I like that. You're a human being, not a human doing. Okay. Okay. I like to do things. You don't things. Gotta my be favorite doing thing. stuff. I think that's you my favorite just be activity. sometimes. Is just to it's okay. Things.
2: Anyone that knows me, I'm always doing something. It, Teach it, your it, like me your ways. I like to just exist. Like, I can't. There's <laughs> never normal things you do either. Erin. The things that I do aren't normal.
0: <laughs> so, um, We are, like, in the process of moving, right, like I mentioned at the beginning. Um, But this is, so this is um, Trevor's house, and these are his dogs. And um, can you quit it, please? Thank you. Hey, quit it. Quit it. Quit it. Anyway, so while he's at work, he wants me to pack up his house. I'm like, I'm not packing everything because you don't use everything. So am I gonna? I said, so this is not all on me. I'm not gonna go out and buy the boxes and buy the tape and buy the wrap and do it all while you're at work. That's not how this works. I have a job too, um, and so. This has been like this never ending cycle. And so what did I do today? I went out and got boxes and tape and bubble wrap and uh, all of the things to pack up the house. And um, where did he go? He just went to go get a haircut. Like, (laughs) I'm so here I am not packing, (laughs) but gosh, I, I could kvetch about this whole house hunting process forever. But I'm not going to. So, all right. Um, this episode up. Uh, you want to give predictions for? You want to give predictions for? Uh, you want to do a national champion runner? What's the
2: bracket?
3: I don't want to look stupid by pairing up somebody on the same side of the bracket. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um oh there we go hold on here's the bracket here's the bracket all right i hate how they're two pac 12 teams on the same side of the bracket they always do this it's gross like yeah thanks for making us go to a super ucla like thanks selection committee freaking assholes i think ucla will
3: beat florida state i think alabama will beat arizona so alabama ucla
2: Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. That'll be a fun one. See, yeah, I have Alabama, Oklahoma
1: in the finals. And I think it'd go either way. I'm a big Montana fan. I think fan. you may be right. Like, she is fun. Same. Does, her, does her drop ball actually break at 72 miles per hour? You know... I don't know, but it appears so. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I don't know if the ESPN Raiders are hot or what, but yeah, I think um, Alabama. So I would love Arizona to win it,
3: of of course.
2: Yeah, I'm rooting for Arizona. They just go, they just bust all the way through. You know.
3: Yeah, I think Alabama, Alabama, (laughs) Oklahoma in the
0: final. I think Alabama. That's good. Yeah, that's very good. What if I throw this out there just – I'm just going to throw it. I'm just going to throw it out there. Um, Oklahoma State, UCLA. All right. That would be a fun series. That would be really fun. The, and, and the only reason why I say that is because um, Oklahoma State gave OU a run for their money. Georgia even gave Oklahoma a run for their money. I hope JMU does too, though i don't know i don't know but
3: i really like the sound of it i'm not sure that's true but i really like where you're going with it i definitely think oklahoma state is super under like carrie eberly in particular is very underrated um i don't know anyone else really in the country that has 10 inches of break, don't break don't on both be their be rise and their drop off on don't don't i, don't I don't like that's
0: all right, so, let They're gonna go with D and D and D and D and D and O and D. And O
1: Twitter and at on Twitter and on
3: and Facebook and website um, on
1: website for me, it's mostly by now. <laughs> not just something.
3: Hire her. I like my job. Hire me. Never mind. Unhire her. <laughs> Compete. Compete for her so her salary goes.
0: are barking they're going cuckoo um do you guys need to go potty like I
2: don't understand why do we talk to dogs like that like I I I mean they can't talk back (laughs) do you ever really have a conversation with your animal like they can talk back to you I
3: reject that idea I believe that they absolutely understand I have no other explanation for how my dog literally acts like a person so I really do think that (laughs) she understands at this point.
2: I think they understand. I wish they could just talk back. Mine does. What are you talking about? Would not want to know what my my kitten Roman does. I would not want to hear his thoughts.